Before we start on this episode, we wanted to let you know that you can watch our Catalog and Cocktails episodes live with us every Wednesday via Zoom. Check the link in our channel bio for more information, and we hope you join us in the discussion in real time. Now, let's get back to the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another week of Catalog and Cocktails. We're very excited to be joined by a special guest today. But before we go into that, I want to make sure that we all remind you that this is a honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. I am Tim Gasper, Director of Product and Product Nerd over at Data.World and joined by Juan. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Juan Cicada. I'm the principal scientist here at Data.World and always a pleasure to have a, a break in the middle of the week and, and chat with you, Tim, and, uh, and chat with our new guest here today, which I'd like to introduce quickly, Jeff. I'm super excited that we're joined here today by Jeff Feng. He is a product lead at Airbnb and one of the brains behind Airbnb's data portal, their data catalog. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Juan and Tim. Yeah, so we're super excited about this conversation that we're going to have today, but just a quick reminders. Uh, remember, we're, we have our Slack community. Please join us. Go, just go to slack.data.world, and you can join the Catalog and Cocktails channels and just say hello. Uh, that's where we want to continue the conversation. Uh, I think people can listen to the podcast also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and everything, but the cool thing about attending this live is that you get to spend the other next 30 minutes and just have the conversation live, and then we can take it to, to Slack. So Tim and Jeff, I just wanted to first kind of do a quick cheers and, and we always have this tradition, we're drinking something. So I'll, I'll kick off. I'm, I did something interesting. I, uh, I'm kind of uh, looking into the stuff that friends have been given me and I have one of my best friends is Albanian and he gave me this bottle of Albanian cognac. So I'm looking Ooh. for some interesting uh, recipes and I found the brandy sour, which is the unofficial national cocktail of Cyprus. So. Here's a brandy sour, sour, which is a Cyprus cocktail made with Albanian cognac. That's me. Albanian cognac. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. That is super cool. Um, I am drinking some Russell's Reserve here. So I'm a little bit cheating. This is whiskey without the cocktail bits, but that's okay. Um, this is actually part of something that we're doing at Data.World, which I think is really cool. That is our um, 25 days of whiskey. And so I actually have it here with me uh, where we essentially have like a whiskey for each day and it's all for a local charity, Austin Pets Alive, uh, which if y'all don't know about is a really great uh, charity that's local to here. And, uh, and so this is my whiskey of the day, the whiskey du jour. So cheers and excited to be, uh, to be joined by you, Jeff. What, what are you drinking? What do you got going on? Hey, thanks guys. Uh, so I'm, I'm drinking some Japanese beer. I'm drinking some Sapporo. Uh, I didn't have time to make a cocktail, but I do like I do love my Japanese beers, and the fact that I get to drink at I think it's two o'clock in the afternoon here is a is a bonus. <laughs> well, now that we've told what we're what we are drinking, let's go toast. What do you want to toast for? You go, Tim. Toast for something today. Yeah, sure. So uh, I am toasting to to family. I feel like between last week and this week, trying to get back into the the motion of things. Uh, Man, it is crazy trying to work and have my family hanging out with me every day at the exact same time. But man, I love it. Uh, I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. So I'm toasting to family. How about you, Jeff? Cheers. Uh, I'm toasting to just general health and Thanksgiving. I'm just very thankful to that all my family is doing well. We're uh, sheltering in place down in Irvine, California. And so 
I'm just hanging out here with my wife's uh, side of the family. And so things are good. Things are good. Well, I'm toasting for everybody who's working very hard on those vaccines so we can get that stuff out soon and we can again very soon be uh, working together face to face. So, hey, cheers, everybody. Yeah, cheers. cheers. So talking quick about Thanksgiving, what have you guys been up to? What's like the latest show that you've watched, you've been watched here, just kind of to warm up with the conversation? Tim. Oh, great, great question. Oh my gosh. So much TV, watching so much TV. Um, so uh, I, I'll, I'll say two quick shows. So, so one of them is uh, my family's been really enjoying a show on Netflix called Kipo. I don't know if you heard of that, but it's like post-apocalyptic but fun. It's a cartoon and uh, like mutants have taken over and there's like massive dogs, the size of a, of a skyscraper and stuff like that. And this, uh, this uh, girl who is uh, trying to figure everything out, she's half mutant, half human. And uh, it's a really cool show. It's totally fun, family fun. So check that out. And then my secret um, that I'm watching by myself kind of is succession. That's kind of a dark show on HBO. I don't know if y'all have seen that, but that is like <laughs> every time they backstab each other, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is like corporate game of Thrones here. <laughs> How about you, Jeff? Yeah. In uh, keeping with the Japanese theme, I'm watching this show on Netflix called Terrace house. Super fascinating. It's like six strangers, like three guys and three girls who live in this, like uh, under the same roof. And they're all pursuing like different dreams and hobbies, and they're also looking for love. So you can think of it as kind of like uh, what was that show on MTV? Uh, uh, Big Brother or something like that, or what was yeah, it called? Yeah, not, not Road Rules, but you know, it's basically basically like the Japanese version of uh, yeah, or the uh, real life, real, real world, real world, real world, yeah. Well, I've been watching you know, for a long time. I'm a big fan of Seinfeld. I watched all of Seinfeld, and here's a curious thing. I think every single episode of Cattle and Cocktails, which is you get the podcast, but if you watch us on YouTube, you can see us if you want to see us. I always have a Seinfeld t-shirt. I've been doing that for 28 episodes straight. So today is Hennigan, so remember. But I just finished watching the other day, uh, funny, watching an entire uh, series of Cheers. I've been going old school and I just started Ooh. Taxi. And I think that's super cool. Anyway, so post in the chat and tell us where you're coming from. What are you drinking? Uh, what are you toasting for? And what have you been watching on, on uh, Binge Watching lately? So, but you know what? Enough of the chit chat. Let's dive into this. Uh, last episode, we had our Thanksgiving recap and we talked about people, processes, technologies, and, and of course, data. And today, let's just go dive in with Jeff and talk about Airbnb's data catalog, and, and which they call data portal. So Jeff, give us a little bit of intro of what is the data what is Data Portal and a little bit of the history behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So Data Portal is our internal product and tool that we built to help users search and discover uh, meaningful data and trustworthy data to help do their jobs. Um, so at Airbnb, data is incredibly meaningful in terms of like how, how we make decisions and how we drive the business. And so when, we, when I joined in 2016, um, it was challenging because it was hard, hard to know what data to be able to trust. Uh, we had data that was, uh, you know, in the form of like data sources and dashboards, but without the context of the data, uh, you'd have to go to a data scientist or like a, a data steward to really understand the context around that data. And so this is a problem. And at the head of data science, you came to me and, and his name is Riley, and he was looking to help address this problem. And Initially, he had this vision for what, we, what he called like the ecosystem viz. And so our product, uh, Airbnb, is uh, essentially, you know, you know, it's about guests and hosts and it's about like having them, um, you know, 
be able to, we wanted to be able to track like the journey of guests and hosts through the product. And so his vision was to build this, this visualization that would link guest and host metrics across different stages of the booking cycle, life cycle. Um, however, as I started to talk to users across the organization, like a bigger problem started to emerge. And that was really that people didn't know uh, the context around uh, the data. Uh, they didn't know how to understand what data sets to use or what visualizations to trust unless they went to a data steward. And this problem was getting even more challenging as the organization grew because we had more data assets and, and more employees. And so we came up with this idea of building the data portal. Uh, and the idea was to capture all the relationships between data entities, which includes like metrics, visualizations, data sets, uh, as well as relationships about uh, people and teams and how they can those data assets. And by actually surfacing that information and democratizing it to, uh, to all users and providing an easy to use interface, we thought we could reduce the number of questions that people had to go to, to data experts with and rather help employees be able to self-serve and find the most trustworthy data. Uh, so that's, uh, that's one is a nutshell of uh, the data portal and how it got started. That is super cool. And, and what were you guys doing before data portal? Like, what was it just kind of, I mean, obviously everyone talks about like, oh, we just have to find the right person. You know, we have to email a bunch of people to figure out what data to get access to. I mean, was it basically kind of your, your age old uh, kind of situation? Literally like people would Slack other users. Uh, they would just Slack like the, uh, the teams that own the data sets or they would go to, you know, go to the people in person and literally, it, it was just like one-on-one -on -one communications. And you know that, that really started to not scale as we grew to become a bigger organization. And, um, you know, and we wanted to make the lives of users you know, more delightful, especially the, use, the, the lives of the data stewards, the people who own the data, who are getting bombarded with questions. And so this was uh, what we saw as like the only way to help our data organization scale. So let's let's talk about, I think there's two things I really want to go touch and chat with you, Jeff, which is kind of from the tech side and then from like the user and kind of the business side. But let's, let's talk about the tech side first. So let's, what's under, let's chat a little bit underneath the hood. And one of the things that I, I love about kind of looking into uh, Data Portal and, and, re, and reading the, the, the blog that describes it is how the, the entire system is built on graph, right? And I think that's something that I'm People know my background. I'm all about graphs and knowledge graphs and stuff. I'm really interested to hear your journey of from the tech side. Like, how did you decide to go to build it and and figuring out what is the right technology stack uh, to go use? Yeah, that's a, a really great, really great question. So, um, as we were thinking about the concept of data portal, um, it became obvious pretty soon that um, what was going to be important was not just the metadata itself but the relationships between data as well as metadata. And so, um, you know, a graph database uh, lends itself very naturally to these types of situations uh, where you think of like the nodes as like all of the meta metadata about the particular entity. And then the edges really being the relationships between different nodes. And so, you know, a very common example is uh, if you have like, you know, data scientist Dave uh, consumed, you know, dashboard X. And then being able to capture those relationships in a graph made it really convenient and uh, provided a mechanism so that we could be able to understand the uh, consumption and uh, creation uh, linkages between all 
these different uh, entities and nodes. And so we, we ended up building uh, our data catalog on top of Neo4j. And so Neo4j offered uh, a community edition that we found to be, you know, pretty, um, to meet all the technical requirements that we needed to, was to build like the backend for our database. And then we also used a technology called Elasticsearch uh, to be able to index, uh, index the data and, and, and surface it in a, like, uh, a search index for uh, search ranking. That makes sense. And um, about how long have you guys been working on Data Portal at this point? So obviously there was sort of the inception till now. What, 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 you know, what, what's that time period? Yeah, it's been um, almost four, four and a half years now. Um, so back when we started the project in 2016, um, there really wasn't much of a category at that time. I mean, I think Alation had a product that they were, they were working on uh, as a third party product. But most other, com most other companies were struggling with the same issue. And people, even at that time, were not, didn't really have a good solution around it. And so we decided to build something new. Um, I think it inspired a number of other companies to build similar products. And so the work that we did um, also inspired like Lyft and Uber, uh, and, you know, as well as LinkedIn. And you know, we start, started to see similar products come out and that really helped to validate the work that we did. Uh, because initially when we were proposing to build this product, uh, I would get questions from leadership as to like, well, we don't see this, this similar uh, type of product to other companies. What's the value of building this? Mm -hmm. And what, what we were trying to say is this is something that would make the lives of data, uh, data workers easier. It was gonna help us to really scale. Yeah. And so actually seeing others also build similar tools was a really good validation of the market. It's almost as though y'all were kind of the the first catalog, you know, it were, and were you guys kind of thinking of it as catalog or was that even sort of before the term catalog started to gain some sort of traction? It was it was pre-catalog. So we were really thinking of it as like data search and exploration hmm. and uh, really was the end goal of like, how, how can we, um, how, how can we, you know, capture and institutionalize the knowledge that's typically in the the head of a data scientist or data engineer. And, um, and that was like the main goal that we were going after. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, and, and so just going back to the question that, that, that Juan mentioned around, you know, uh, you know, Neo4j, Elasticsearch, obviously wrapping it with a bunch of, you know, uh, web services and, and sort of a good sort of search and exploration UI. Um, you know, if you, if you, now you're four and a half years into it, um, are there any lessons learned from going through that experience? You know, would you uh, do it the same way again? Are there some lessons learned, you know, whether it's just kind of reflecting or, you know, as you're thinking about some of the other companies that are, that are thinking about this problem space? Yeah, uh, really great, really great question, Tim. Um, I think there's a couple of lessons learned. Um, so the first lesson learned is, um, you know, how frequently do we like produce the graph and index the graph? And so when we built our, our data catalog, uh, we actually built a system that would index all the data like once a day. Um, however, the problem with that is that you don't know if the data that you have is really the freshest and current reflection of the data in your environment. It's gonna be like 99% accurate, but anything that happened within the last 24 hours, there's a chance it's slightly slight stale. And so that's because we, we built like a pull-based system a pull-based system being like we're pulling metadata from other different uh, sources. So we actually pull data from 
um, Hadoop and Hive. We pull data from Tableau and as well as other uh, other sorts of uh, data sources. Um, so again, like the challenge there is you don't know whether what you have is really the latest data. And what I like is uh, some recent, um, I guess, uh, versions of like similar types of products uh, to Data Portal um, are starting to use like a pull based, uh, sorry, a push based system where the data entities themselves will push the information as it's created uh, to uh, to the graph, and so that's one thing that I wish that you know we could change. Um, a second aspect is that data is really proliferates everywhere. It's not just in your data warehouse or data lake. It also lives in, in areas like third party applications, and so I think there's also an opportunity to really uh, be able to address the aspect of data proliferation across barriers, across like first party data as well as third party data. And so being able to like, understand that lineage and the metadata across the systems, I think is also a big opportunity. That makes sense. And, and you know, is data portal primarily is focused around metadata and lineage, right? Is there, has there ever been an aspect there that has been sort of critical or asked for that's more around the access side of things, or has that always been a little bit sort of separate from sort of the mission of, of the portal? Yeah, I, th I think at that point, you know, I think it's related and it's something that we've been thinking about more. Yeah. And so when I think about the use cases for data portal, uh, it generally falls into uh, two or three different areas. Uh, first is around like data productivity. And so how, how, how does this tool make all data users for the organization uh, be able to do their jobs faster and, and be more self-sufficient. Uh, secondly, is around compliance. And so things such as like GDPR, like the right to be forgotten and being able to delete data assets that uh, have been requested to be, or from users who are requested to be forgotten uh, is another key use case. And then the third use case I would say is around sort of like the data access and um, data quality, uh, I would say. And so understanding the lineage, landing time of data, as well as controlling like who has access to what. And so, so as we've been developing the data portal, we've also started to think about revising our data access policies and also building the data portal with data access in mind. And so some things we do around that are like we, we will surface metadata about data assets so that people have context and know that even like um, more sensitive data assets like financial metrics or PII data exists, but we won't let you actually see it. Uh, and we're also more tightly integrating like our data access tooling. Uh, it's another tool that we built internally, uh, more tightly integrated with the data portal so that people can request access assets from the same UI that it serves. That is super cool. And that, that's a very interesting roadmap. And I feel like that uh, aligns with a lot of the things that we're thinking about too, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I like this the productivity, the compliance, and the data access. Right, those kind of like that crawl and walk that we talk about. But mm -hmm. I think another aspect that we always that I always encounter talking to folks, and, and this is the this is the honest conversation is the whole build versus buy, right? And I think a lot of people are now, well, if Airbnb did and they're all, they're open sourcing all these things, like why should I just go buy from a vendor if I can just hey, it's quote unquote free, right? I can open source it. I can open so I can go use it. I can just go build it. Or what are you? So my specific question is what type of companies you think should build versus buy given the experience of you actually building it? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think, um, I think it really comes down to like how much custom integration uh, do you have or need to have? 
And uh, at what point in time are you making this decision? And so in our case, back in, you know, circa 2016, uh, there were, weren't really a whole lot of products out in the space. And in addition, we build a lot of our other, our own other uh, data products, such as like Airflow and Superset. And so we needed something that could uh, work with metadata from all of our custom tools. And so for us, like the, the, the answer was pretty obvious, but you know, in making the decision in 2020 today, I think that decision is much less obvious. And I think in more cases than not, uh, I think more and more companies are going to buy rather than build. Um, building is very expensive, um, you know, because you know we invested you know three to five engineers over the period of you know several years now. Uh, so it's definitely not cheap. Um, open source is also not free. Uh, you know, it's it seems tempting. It seems like it's free, but you know, it's always going to require some engineering effort to stand it up and to maintain it and to add features to make it just right for your organization. And so. So oh, my, my sense is as time goes on, more and more people are going to consider buying unless you have like special requirements or are more customized. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think we had a previous session on build versus buy and I with Tim and I were actually debating and, and, and Tim actually took the side on he wants to go build. And I think I, it's pretty clear what you just said is like, if, if you need to go do a bunch of custom integrations, and I think also if building like you're you have soft soft building software writing software is within the dna of your organization then and you have plenty of engineers to go do it then yeah maybe go build and that's probably like if you are an an airbnb and uber right but otherwise if if you don't have a lot of people around and, and and you don't have a culture of writing software then probably don't think about building i think that that's my that's how i like to interpret the situation here yeah, and plus, like engineering resources are very scarce, and so when making any sort of like build decision, you have to think about well, if we build this, that also means we won't be able to build something else. Mm. And so I, I think that um, yeah, engineering is definitely a scarce resource. So one of the things that I hear a lot uh, from just friends, colleagues, and stuff about Airbnb is that you guys have a really awesome data culture. Uh, and, 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 and data portal has been one of those catalysts to go create that and, 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 and innovate on this data culture. How do you, how do you define and how do you even measure success? And, and because, I mean, you see all these things about how the, how the product, how you're having all this productivity, what does success look like? And how do you, how are you measuring that? And, and how are people, how are people changing with, with, with things like data portal? Yeah, great question. So um, as people who are data practitioners, we like to be data informed in how we make decisions. And so uh, we measure it in several, several different ways. So first we have like our in-product metrics. And so we're measuring things such as like, um, you know, weekly active users of the data portal as well as our entire uh, suite of tools on our data platform. Uh, secondly, we, uh, we measure uh, data and statistics around like how relevant are our search ranking results. And so, you know, we leverage PageRank, which is a technology built by Google for improving search ranking. And we've been uh, tweaking our algorithm to be able to service the most relevant uh, assets to our users. Um, but then third, you know, we do uh, a couple of different types of uh, customer, um, customer feedback uh, sessions. And one is through surveys. Uh, so we run a uh, half yearly survey where we understand people's ability to be able to access, discover, and leverage data effectively, uh, as well as we do um, a number of different, uh, you know, customer roundtable sessions where we'll get like, you know, very direct and candid feedback about what's what's working and what's not working, and then we'll largely 
um, think about our product investments based on some of that feedback. Um, so great question. There's not one silver bullet. We like to be able to take all, all the different data and triangulate. Um, but what we've seen is you know, anecdotally is that like we have I think, over a thousand user, weekly active users of the data data portal now, and it's been really foundational for every employee in the company because we built it in a way so it's really acceptable to any type of user, not just uh, uh, really advanced data users. Because I think you you started the you started earlier on saying, well, why are we building this and nobody else has it, right? It, and I think part of it, even we get it today, is like, well, do I really need a data catalog? Or and, and it's kind of hard to actually cal- calculate this ROI. And I think it's something that we really need to be, even as an industry, really think about what are the best ways they want to go measure. And hence, my question is, what does success look like? And how do I what do I, how do I define it? And how do I measure? It? I want to quantify it. But at the end of the day, right? you're spending money, you want to get that money back and make more out of it, right? So I think that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a thing that we always need to think about within this, as, as, as people in this industry. What's the ROI on, on all of this? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Juan. And, you know, related to this question, and, you know, is this, this whole idea of how do we build better data cultures? Because I think part of the ROI equation and part of why catalogs become so interesting is this idea that we are trying to become more data literate in our organizations. We are trying to create this sort of self-service culture where people can find the data they need, they can work with it, they can get the answers that they need. Um, you know, in addition to uh, the portal, you know, uh, what else really had a strong impact on the data culture over at, you know, Airbnb? Was it a strong focus on sort of, you know, self-service BI? Like, did you guys focus a lot on that? Or were there some other aspects that really drove sort of good data culture at Airbnb? Yeah, I'd love to answer the data culture question. I want to add one more thing about um, getting the ROI from uh, data catalog. Yeah, sure, yeah. One uh, one thing that we actually did was we actually measured like the time spent by data scientists, like where was the time being spent, and so uh, literally we had like a percentage breakdown by ten percent increments about what time is spent doing analysis, helping other users, and so we actually started to quantify like what were some of the improvements like pre and post data portal, uh, and another thing that uh, you know we try to understand is like how how is it making users more productive. Um, I think that's a little bit more hard to quantify given such a broad population, but it's like the, the holy grail of what I'd like to be able to quantify. But I, I think the, the the benefits can be quantified in two or can be characterized in two ways. One is in terms of time saved by um, you know uh, advanced data users, uh, data stewards, as well as people who are um, knowledge workers. And then the second aspect is especially around um, the compliance aspect is are, are we actually you know, protecting our data assets or not? And that's something where it's like more of a table stakes need and definitely something that helps to improve the ROI of the products like these. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, to, to your uh, earlier question, um, sorry, what was it again? It was- yeah, sure. I was, I was kind of curious about, you know, in addition to catalog, how, how else were you building that great data culture over at Airbnb? You know, what other aspects of the overall initiative had to be combined with that? Yeah, so I, I think one of the overarching themes is like, you know, how do we delight our users with data? And the way that we try to approach it is to start from like first principles and think about like, you know, if, 
you know, if we start from an ideal world, um, and this is something that Airbnb likes to do, this is something Vincenzo likes to do as designers. They like to think about like, what is the ideal user experience, and how do we actually build a product to help achieve that? Um, and so, this sort of like uh, design thinking and starting from first principles helped us to build some pretty unique data products, which are um, you know gaining traction within the open source community as well as um, within like a lot of our peers, and so. Some of the things that we built include, uh, we built something called um, uh, Minerva, which is our metrics infrastructure. And this was built out of a realization that uh, metrics were being recreated throughout the organization. People will write SQL queries to create like a certain metric. But oftentimes what happens is that you define a metric once in experimentation, you'll define it once for like an analysis, you'll define it once for like an executive report but they may not actually be match up and be the same metric. And so what we developed was uh, this metrics infrastructure, which would uh, materialize the metrics once and serve all different uh, user interfaces so that you have like a very consistent and trustworthy metric that could be dependent upon throughout the organization. Um, second is we built uh, Apache Superset. And so a superset is an open source data visualization tool that's uh, about to or just becoming a top level Apache project. And so superset was built out of a need to both like become a, a powerful data visualization tool that's open source that would enable organizations to tailor it to their specific needs. Um, but it also was a, a, a product and tool that's more geared towards uh, power use of data. And so um, if you want to write SQL, you can write SQL, but if you also don't want to write SQL, we also provide um, user flows that enable you to uh, just generate uh, visualizations on the fly. Um, and so building these tools have helped you create like a self-service analytics environment that also provides a very high ceiling for users that are um, more proficient in their data expertise. I love that, the idea that you, create a low barrier to entry for anyone to really be involved in the data conversation but then you really create that what you're calling that high ceiling to let you know the power users and the more advanced users to really run wild and do the the more advanced things that they need to do i really like that sort of approach yeah you definitely need to have that you need to have a tool that allows that flexibility this is not a tool for users type a or users type b like you really have a tool that allows for everybody to go work together right who who can go run or who need help walking and stuff do the whole the whole shebang jeff i, I told you 30 minutes flies by and we can keep discussion going but uh thank you so much we always like to wrap up with some takeaways uh tim what are what are your takeaways from this discussion yeah, sure. No, first of all, thank you so much, Jeff. There's so much interesting conversation here and nuggets. And I, I wish that we could just keep on going and going here. Um, a few things that I just jotted down as notes that I thought were really, really interesting is first of all, your insight around sort of the freshness of data, like, you know, the idea of a pull based system versus a push based system. I think that's very interesting, because, you know, more and more, we're hearing also on our side, a lot of folks want more and more of a real time or an active, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, approach to metadata. And so it's very interesting to see that become, uh, you know, a pressure in all different companies. Um, the idea that, you know, the goals of a data catalog are things like data productivity, data compliance, and data access. I really like actually what, what one of our commenters said here in the comments, um, data catalogs, to comply, to combine, to compute, and to compete. Uh, I like that. Some four or five different Cs there. 
Um, and then the final bit uh, of takeaways that I, I really got out of this was um, I like your last comment there, Jeff, about the combination of sort of data portal, the catalog aspect, the reusability of analytics assets, and then, you know, some of the stuff that y'all have been doing with Superset and some other tooling around sort of self-service analytics that sort of catalog, reusability, and self-service, all of these things have to kind of come together to really create an environment for good data culture to, to bloom. Um, and so I think that's, that's a really awesome, awesome perspective. I got a, I got a couple of, of takeaways. One is, hey, a data catalog is about understanding how data is connected. By definition, it's a graph. So I think that's one of the reasons why you want to go build a data catalog on a graph or work with data catalogs that are built on, on, on knowledge graphs. Um, on the build versus buy is, hey, build if you depend on a lot of custom integrations and you have a lot of engineers and you have a lot of time, a lot of money. Otherwise, just buy. And I think the ROI, I like how you said it, Jeff, two things. You, time saved from people who are expensive and also the compliance. It is hard to quantify how to make people more productive, but this can be done through surveys and, and a lot of ideas that you gave out there. So any final words, Jeff? Uh, no, I think, I think to close, I would just say that data catalog, I think is a new category. Um, I think as data becomes increasingly important for organizations, it's imperative to have some sort of data catalog solution to uh, help empower all knowledge workers in your organization to be productive with data. So uh, really thank you guys for inviting me out. Uh, this has been a lot of fun and, and I, I feel pretty happy now that I've got a drink inside of me. Well, that's awesome. So we're going to wrap up here, but just a reminder for all our listeners on our podcast, you're the podcast is done, but if you would actually come live, you would continue the conversation going on, the, continuing the conversation that's going to happen offline. So remember to join us uh, live uh, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Central. With that, thank you very much, Jeff, Tim, my partner in crime, and cheers. You guys have a great rest of your week. Cheers. Thanks.